I'm Bianca Westwood and welcome to the Integral Chat. This podcast will bring you interviews with a number of athletes, managers and all the big names from the world of sport. We talk about the lives and careers of our guests and the issues that matter to Integral Sports Management, an agency founded by Ray Winston and Gary Pettit to nurture our sporting talent and safeguard the future for our clients as we strive to promote our core values of integrity, trust, honesty and respect. We're asking the right questions to help bring about positive change and give you some answers. This week on the Integral Chat, my guest is Worthing Football Club Chairman, George Dow. George Dow, welcome to the Integral Chat. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been dying to speak to you for so long. I want to speak to you about your life story, basically, because it's one of the most inspirational life stories that there could possibly be. Um, At 21, you became the youngest ever owner and chairman of a football club. And I want to find out and and let our listeners and viewers know how that all came about. So take me back to your younger days. You were playing under 18s, I think for Worthing, aspiring footballer. I mean, what were your dreams? What were your plans then? Uh, Yeah, I guess my dreams like any sort of teenager really playing football and uh, wanting to try and climb the ladder and play as high as I could. So yeah, football was my my passion and at the time I was uh, 17 playing for Worthing in the under 18 sort of uh, getting some a few chances on the bench for the first team so yeah no I was, I was enjoying my football and I was at college and stuff just just normal yeah 17 year old lad really. Did you think that you might make it professionally one day? I think the professional game was probably a bit out of reach but maybe semi-pro was was my target um, and that, that's what kind of what I was going towards because although yeah it's not the Premier League game and maybe it's not a, a full salary but if you could supplement another job with a, a passion of yours that's also making a bit of money on the side and maybe paying the mortgage that would yeah that was kind of the, the goal I was going for but obviously I wasn't going to rule out professional football I was still still shooting for the stars. Of course I mean you know making any kind of career out of football is you know, when you love the game as you yeah. do and as I do, it's it's whatever you can do, isn't it, in in the game? And at the time, you know, semi pro would have would have still been a really good career to have. But unfortunately, it, things didn't work out that way. You actually made the the bench, didn't you? Um, at what was it seventeen? You made the bench for yeah. the first time. Yeah. So everything was looking great. Probably really exciting times for you. Um, but what happened very, very shortly after that? Yes, yeah, so funny enough. Well, I say funny enough. It's not, not that funny. But um, about a week after I was on the bench for the first team, I had a, a road traffic accident, and um, yeah, was paralysed from the from the chest down, which obviously put a pretty abrupt end to my to my playing career, really. And yeah, and then I was looking for new ways to stay involved in the game. How did the accident happen? The collision. What what was the what were the circumstances around it? Uh, I was with a group of friends after football training, and um, we were just at a friend's house and thought uh, it was getting late. We we're all getting pretty hungry, so we drove to a local McDonald's, and uh, it was on the way back from there that uh, my friend lost control of the car. And I, I don't actually remember too much of the accident. I know that 
I remember before it and there was sort of nothing else on the road and yeah there was nothing really going on out of the ordinary and then I, I just remember waking up in hospital after that and and uh, I think we'd ended up I think the car had flipped a few times we had ended up in a in an adjacent field um to the to the to the dual carriageway and yeah that was that was it we I was flown to no sorry not flown I was went to Chichester Hospital initially and then uh, they sort of realized the severity of my injury and then they um, got me to Salisbury Spinal Unit in the early hours of that morning. So unbelievably you were the only one with severe injuries the the driver was fine the other two yeah. passengers were fine it's just one of those things I mean if you have no memory of the of the accident but do you kind of have you ever done any soul searching as to why why me why was I the only one what was yeah. what definitely yeah, isn't it indescribable it's, isn't it it's crazy like everyone else although I, obviously I wouldn't wish any any further injury on any oh. of them they're all the people in the car were good friends so uh, but at the time I, I find I found it hard to believe that I had such a serious injury and then everyone else in the car was like literally just cuts and bruises not even like broken bones or anything so I found that hard to understand really because it's not like everyone had their seatbelt on and I didn't I have my seatbelt on too it's it's just yeah a freak a freak accident and um yeah I was yeah the one that I guess took the brunt of it but um yeah I, I did a lot of searching at the time and I, I do have like flickers of memory from when I was in Chichester Hospital and I remember everyone's like sort of family being there or or being told that oh uh, David's family's just turned up and so-and-so's family's just turned up and um and I was just kind of oh, are they all right are they all right but I didn't. I, but then I was kind of out of it, so I didn't really understand the level of my injuries. And and then yeah, I, when they sort of kept saying about Salisbury Spinal Unit, I thought, well, okay, this, this isn't great. And then they were like, can you feel this? Can you feel that? And I was like, no, I can't feel, can't feel any of that. So I was like, okay, this is pretty serious. But yeah, again, I was I was pretty out of it, so I don't remember it really. Mm. It's. I mean, that's everybody's worst nightmare: um, waking up in a hospital bed and someone telling you that kind of thing. When did it start to sink in? How long did it take? It probably took me a couple of weeks for it to sink in, just because I was like so heavily medicated for a long time. And uh, I think my family obviously knew straight away as soon as we got to the spinal unit. There, my consultant and and the staff there are pretty uh, pretty blunt about the injury, and I I can see why they are like they just said to my family straight away like. This is what's happened. He's never he's he's broke his neck at C five C six. He's never going to walk again. And this is what you can expect for sort of the rest of your life. And I think they have to be like because they don't want to give any false hope to to families and say, oh, we think this has happened, we think that's happened, because then they're going around asking questions in their own head. So they kind of yeah, they're just they're just very blunt. But uh, obviously, my family were reluctant to be be as blunt with me. So it took me longer maybe for it to to sink in and I was I was pretty out of it so I was kind of just yeah flat on my back and I, I knew where I was and I couldn't feel anything and I kind of knew the seriousness of the the accident but yeah maybe not fully comprehending what that would mean for the rest of my life if you like yeah I think lots of people I know I have they've had that what, what would I do if you know someone told me that how would I react how would I be for the for the following weeks and months and it's it's difficult to predict everybody's completely different what were you like uh well, I was yeah I used to ask myself the same question like it, it just comes up sometimes doesn't it like oh, what, what would you do if you were paralyzed from 
like, as a as a teenager, you can't even comprehend what that would be like. You're like, oh, I'd rather, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I would have said before, when you, I'd rather be dead than, than than this happens to me. And that was probably my my reaction when I first started coming to terms. With it. I was like, what's the point in being alive? Like, I can't can't play football. Can't can't do this. Can't do that. Can't do anything with the things that I used to do. Um, yeah, what, what what am I going to do? What's the point? And I probably felt like that for a while. I had like really good friends and family around me that were like supportive and, and trying to keep my spirits up, if you like. And I, I never got like too down. And although I had them thoughts going around in my head, I was never like, oh, I actually want to die. I, I don't think I ever felt like that. I, I think I kind of started to come to terms with it quite quickly. And um, yeah, and I think that is largely down to the support I had around me. And, yeah, and, and the hospital itself are brilliant. It's sort of trying to make you understand that there is life after spinal cord injury and there is so much you can you can do and go out and achieve if if you want to. And, and yeah, it's just make the most of it. So that's kind of, uh, yeah, I quickly took that and, and ran with it, really. Mm. Well, you must have a really super strong spirit because um, a lot of people wouldn't react like that. I mean... My dad was disabled in, in a wheelchair, but he was ill. So his was very gradual. It wasn't that kind of one yes, minute you're completely sort of, I say normal, you know what I mean? Yeah, Walking yeah, around yeah. like everybody else. And then the next minute it's gone. Do you think you were in shock for a long time? Uh, I think, it's yeah, 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 I was. It's yeah, such a I mean, traumatic thing to have to go through, body and mind. Yeah, I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand like what I was going to do next. In the first three months, I was kind of just laid flat on my back, and they, uh, I had this like halo vest thing on. They called it so. I like obviously, while my neck was was healing, it's almost like a cast for your neck, so you, you just literally don't move at all. And uh, yeah, it was just yeah, literally, literally flat on my back. They had I had a, like a TV monitor in there with some basic channels on it and that was my life for like three months just flat on my back I had, had a lot of visitors like I said earlier I had really good family and friends my mum sort of moved up to Salisbury from from Worthing who uh, spat like about an hour and a half journey which which made it all the more surprising what or I, I was all the more grateful for the people that I was getting to come and visit because it wasn't like it was just a local hospital up the road it was it was a good sort of hour and a half away there and there and back so uh, right. yeah were they all being strong for you, all the people around you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone, my friends were, they were like trying to just treat me as normal, but obviously you'd see in the faces of some of them, sometimes they're like, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. And But yeah, I mean, they're, but they're the guys that I, I now and did hang around with like soon after my injury as well, like, because they kind of, although it was shocking to start with, they, they then knew what to expect when I did come home and stuff. So they're the people that I knocked about with, uh, yeah, like from, from the off really. And um, yeah, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who would come up every weekend and I had uh, my grandparents who would come up sort of two or three times a week and, and another friend who would come up twice a week and would just play football manager on a laptop or whatever. So yeah, there was like, yeah, a lot, a lot of people that would come up. It was I, I very rarely went like two days without seeing someone. So yeah, yeah, no, I, and obviously my dad would come every weekend. Yeah, it was yeah, loads of people coming up. So it was it was brilliant, really. Yeah. I can't yeah, can't be more thankful to anyone that came. You're really really lucky to have that kind of support system. What happened to the guys who you were in the collision with? Um, yeah, it was 
it was quite awkward really because two of the people in the car so it's me and a friend obviously my family were quite angry with him uh probably not rightly so because he didn't actually do anything wrong but obviously they just wanted someone to blame so more so my mum she was just like I can't believe this has happened but so I mean he didn't come to visit but I never had and I did explain to my mum sort of when I came around like there's no there's no point hating or blaming him because he hasn't actually done anything wrong it was just a freak accident and then the two people in the back were girls so they didn't really come up because it would have been awkward with my girlfriend and you know, not that there was anything you know I mean, going on but it was just a bit yeah. awkward so they didn't come up but there was actually another car uh that of friends that was at mcdonald's when we were there as well so they came with us but they were like five minutes behind us so there was four of our kids in that car that i played football with and yeah they, they would come up and, and visit and stuff and and yeah lo- loads yeah like i said loads of other people as well so the people actually in the car i probably didn't see as much of when i was in hospital but yeah have done since so so it's a long sort of road to recovery and rehab and, and things like that. And I imagine you you worked extremely hard on it because you've got that kind of mentality. You can just tell that about you. So, But when did you start thinking about what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, if you like? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, rehab was was really, yeah, I enjoyed rehab, to be honest. Like, yeah, okay. when you're in... When you're in hospital because i was on my yeah just flat on my back for like three months so i just wanted to do something so it was kind of like a little release they have like a gym at the at the um at the spinal unit and you you get assigned a physio so like two or three times a week you'd go down to physio with them and um yeah learn learn new skills and learn how to how to live your life now and try and work out what does work what doesn't work and uh what can i do what can't i do all those sort of things because you're basically you're starting from scratch you have no idea like even just sitting up uh, in a chair was if was impossible because I just felt like I was floating. I couldn't feel anything below my shoulders, so it just felt like I'm floating and I was moving all over the place. So it's just some like little basic skills of trying to learn to live again, really. But yeah, once you get over that and you get the well, not over that, but once you start to come to terms, okay, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, then you start thinking, okay, what, well, how, how can I do some of the stuff that I used to do? Like, how can I use a laptop? How can I um yeah how can I play the Xbox with my mates again how can I do this how can I do that but I, I don't think I felt I, I don't think I thought about for a long time like what I actually want to do with my life as a as like a career plan or a job I, I didn't see myself working again I thought well, what the hell am I going to be able to do as a job and, and and what am I going to be able to yeah what am I going to be able to do I knew that football was my passion but when I was in hospital if I'm brutally honest I found it hard to watch to start with I found it hard to watch football because I I was like, just yeah. When I used to watch football, you'd watch it and then you'd go and sort of like replicate what what your best favorite players are doing and stuff. So I did find it hard to watch initially, but then I think that summer was the 2010 World Cup, was it? And yeah, that quickly got me over. Yeah, not enjoying watching anymore. I was straight back watching it, and all my friends come off and watch the England games at the hospital. It was it was a really good atmosphere, to be fair. So yeah, it was yeah, it was tough to start with, but. I guess it did. It took me a long time, even maybe after hospital, to really work out what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to stay involved in football, and my friends were like, "Oh, you should start a team. You should start a team. We'll come play for you." And so I did that initially, and yeah, just did some coaching and stuff. Yeah, so you were doing that, and then kind of by chance, a friend's father mentioned to you that Worthing FC was was in trouble. 
um, like in dire straits, pretty much. Uh, so when did you? When did that light bulb moment happen for you? Pretty much straight away, because the um, the friend's dad that you're referring to, he knew that I was looking for land because I wanted to. I wanted to buy some land and put like a, a 3G pitch down, like a community hub for football for Worthing, because initially, because my my team Worthing Borough was struggling for places to train and struggling for a home ground and stuff. So, and I knew that other other local clubs were struggling too, because I was speaking to other local managers and saying, like, "Oh, where do you train? Where do you play?" And they're like, "Oh, there's literally nowhere to to do that. Like, once soon as the winter comes in, you can't train down the park anymore. You're pretty screwed." So, I was looking for land to do that anyway, and he knew that, and he he. He was still involved at Worthing Football Club as an under-18s coach, so he knew like how dire it was and how close they were to sort of going going out of business. So I kind of just took my business plan of this 3G community hub and took it to uh, the board at Worthing and said like this is these are the reasons why I think it it would work here and equally I, I don't want to see the, the club go bust. I used to play here and um, yeah, I've got so many good memories of playing like youth cup finals here and school cup finals and all that sort of stuff, it'd be such a shame for it to go. So I was kind of like, yeah, let's bring this all together and kill two birds with one stone. And here we are. Happen. But you didn't want to just give them the money and let them run with it. Um, you wanted to obviously take over uh, with the compensation that you'd been given from the, from the insurance company. So, I mean, I can imagine a lot of, I don't want to be sort of disrespectful, but a lot of men in football, they're kind of old fashioned, stuffy, you know, that kind of thing, even at the very lowest level. So what did yeah. they what did they think about this guy who comes in young, 21 years old, coming in with this money, thinking that he can take over and uh, take over their football club, if you like? Yeah, it was it was really awkward because I, I knew the guy as well, like um, the chairman at the time. And the guy that he'd been there like 50 years. So it wasn't like someone that's just new to it. He's like his whole life is, has been down there. And, and if I'm brutally honest, like I didn't, when I first went in, I, I didn't have the vision of me like running it all, but it quickly became apparent. Like if I'm going to be putting all this money in, I, I don't want the same people running it that have got it to this stage. So then I thought, okay, I think I'm going to have to get heavily involved in running, running the football club side. Obviously I knew that I was going to be uh, heavily involved in running like the operational side of the pitch and the, all that sort of stuff. But the football club side, initially it wasn't like, oh, I wanted to come in and just take over. But after like some, some conversations about how it's going to look and how it's going to play out, it quickly became apparent that, yeah, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't responsibly invest this much money and, and not have a, a heavy involvement in, in over, like overseeing the club really because it's yeah. so heavily now how now linked to the facility so yeah I kind of just um brought in my own team of people and it was a really awkward conversation to say to the guy look sorry but yeah you're you're not going to be the chairman anymore and um, you're this, out yeah you're out but uh I think it was the best thing to do because like you said it, it, it is like that at, at football clubs Less so now. I think there is, it is changing slightly. Like more more young people are getting involved, but certainly at the time, it was kind of like a job for the boys, if you like. And like, uh, it was just it was almost like a working man's an old old working man's club rather than a football club that's trying to integrate itself into the community and be uh, be the town's club. It was just kind of like a little thing for them to do at the weekend, and it, yeah, it should never should never be that. So it was good to get some younger people on board and and in with new ideas and. And ideas of how we can sort of capture the community and get them back involved in the club and make it their own their own club again. 
Yeah, exactly. Because Worthing's a, a big place. It, it should yeah. have, a, a, you know, a, a, cl- a football club that's well run and that's everybody goes to and that is a community yeah. hub. So talk to me about the initial improvements that were implemented. You, you got the 3G pitch in so that it could be used all year round. Um, just recently you had the whole Futures Bright um, where, Go campaign. Fund Me, yeah, the campaign. Yeah, so yeah. you've got new floodlights and new toilet block and, and I imagine the disabled facilities down there are, are pretty decent as well. Yeah, yeah, they stand up, <laughs> yeah, stand up to the test, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So how, what was the turnaround like in the first couple of years? Uh, so the big, I think the big thing that, yeah, you, you mentioned there was the, the laying the 3G pitch because that just meant that the whole community could now use the facility like during the week because when it when it was a grass pitch, the ground was open on a Saturday afternoon or a Tuesday if we were playing at home. And other than that, it, it was shut. So unless you like know about it, then you're not you're not going to know about it. So there was no other reason for people to use the facility. Whereas as soon as we put the 3G pitch in, we had loads of youth teams coming down and training. We had men's teams. We had all sorts of different people using the facility. And then they might say, oh, there's a game on Saturday. I'll come down and watch that. So yeah. it just kind of gave them a tie and a link to the club and a reason to sort of get behind it. And then all them people that visit the facility, they maybe go and tell a friend and blah, 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 more people know about it, which was, I think that was the, the big thing. And, and just the fact that there was money being pumped into the club, obviously um, brought an attention locally. So yeah, people would just come down out of interest to see what was going on down there. And because we had such a good first season, I think then people stayed and it's just built and built and built. But and another thing we did very early on, well, actually in the same summer and in the first summer was um, like upgraded the bar facilities and stuff and made it a real uh, welcoming place for people to to come to so that if they did come down for the first time, they would be they'd be happy and keen to come back. We didn't want it to look like an old working man's club and people would be like, oh, no, I don't want to go back there. It's not it's not comfortable. It's not welcoming. So, yeah, we we, we upgraded the bar and made it uh, really nice and modern and put a load of screens in there, got got Sky Sports, got BT and all that sort of stuff so people could watch the football before and after our games and come down during the week and watch watch games and yeah just made it a really a, a nice place to be hopefully. Yeah and you want it self-sustaining as well you're earning money off the off the back of it as well which keeps it going and yeah. so yeah I mean it's a brilliant um a business model obviously you don't make tons of money from it but when it's so important to the community I mean, that's sort of, you know, reward in itself, isn't it? And it always helps when the team is doing well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and you got promotion in your first season, is that right? Yeah. So the first year, like I said, it went really well in the first year. And yeah, we got promotion, which obviously helped kickstart, um, yeah, the journey to where we are, to where we are now. Yeah. and But obviously in between what's happened now. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave that little spoiler just for the, for the <laughs> second in case anyone doesn't know. You had COVID. So, yeah. I mean, for a little club like yourselves, how did that impact you? Um, massively, really. And especially because what we were doing sort of on the pitch, yes, like I say, in the, in the first in the first year, we got a promotion and we took to the crowds from about 200 to 350 to 400. And then gradually year on year, it was going up and up. And uh, just before COVID, we were sort of at a point where we had, I think, an average of 800 or so every home game, which was amazing really like for our league I think the next highest was maybe four 400 500 so we were well above sort of where we should be and, and but when COVID hit we were we were top of the league with I think 
well, we took top of the league with eight, eight points clear of eight games to go. So we were in a really strong position to get our second promotion in five years. And uh, yeah, COVID hit and the, the league got null and voided. And that was that was tough to take for everyone involved at the club and all the fans and, and everyone really, because getting to that next level would have would have been history for the club. The club's never played it at that level. But like you say earlier, which is a shame because it is such a big, such a big town and it should have a club that's played at that level and, and higher. So it seems like a bit of a sleeping, sleeping giant in non-league football. So it, it would have been huge for the club. But yeah, COVID came in and uh, wiped out the next two seasons. So it was yeah, yeah. a nightmare, really. Yeah. So that was how long it was. Was it two seasons? No, yeah, well, it, nothing. It, like, well, it null and voided the first season and then there was a little... Uh, glimmer of hope that we would start the next season then we, we actually know we did start it and we played I think eight games yeah. and we were top of the league again and then it got it got cancelled again so that wiped out that season as well so uh, yeah two seasons got null and voided and curtailed right so then you finally get back underway and you have an absolutely brilliant season again and you I mean your five year plan was to take the team from the Isthmian South to the National League South, and what happened last Saturday? Yeah, we 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 got it. We got it. Got over the lines. So, yeah, we had a, an amazing season. The the manager and the players of yeah. When you consider like how how much turnaround there normally is in non league football and players and stuff, to remain that consistent for three three years and yeah, just completely well, just smashed the season really. I think we're, we're ten points clear. We've got three games to go. And yeah, we're, we're champions of the, the Eastern League Premier and going into the National League South. So it's amazing. Yeah, I've, I mean, um, that's brilliant. I mean, it's unreal. And how how does that feel, though, to you? Coming from where you've done, you know, where you've been, taking over. Um, it's It's been a bit of a journey for you, but it must feel absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, it, it honestly does. Because, well, one, it's my home, yeah, hometown club. So I'm really yeah, proud of the club, but also like where we've, taking it from from like 200 fans to now averaging sort of 1300 and quite often getting up to around 2000 and over that on a couple of occasions and now playing at uh, yeah, a, a good semi-professional level of football is is amazing really and i'm yeah, really really proud that uh i was involved in 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 the journey i'm really yeah, really happy that we've take, managed to as a as a club and everyone involved on the pitch and off the pitch we've managed to take the club to the highest it's ever been. So, yeah, really, really proud. Yeah, it's it's really special what you've done. Um, and without you, it, it would never have happened. So when you think about it, I mean, to have had to have gone through what you did, you wouldn't say, you know, oh, yeah. you're glad it's happened because obviously it's a traumatic event in your life. But to have taken you to this point, do you believe in fate? How do you, do you look at it philosophically now? Um, I always say that I'm obviously, if I'm honest, I, I, I would, I would, I would change it back if I could. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really grateful for the experiences I've had post injury and that I've experienced things that I would never have done if I hadn't had the injury. And, and I'm, I'm happy with what I've done with my life. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy in my life. I'm not like craving going back to my old life if you like or craving being able to or being fully able-bodied or or anything like that I'm, I'm quite content with my life but yeah obviously if you could flick a switch and be fully able-bodied back at uh well not necessarily back at 17 obviously everyone would want to go back to back to being young again but if yeah if you could flick a switch and be like able-bodied then you would but 
yeah, I'm quite happy with my life and I'm really proud of the, uh, I guess, the achievements that I've done post-injury and, and the experiences I've had. How much has it changed, not just the football club, but the the, the town and, and the people there? I mean, you must be some sort of legend. I don't know about that. I, I, I'm I bet really, you I'm are. Really, Everyone also, must love you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone that supports the club seems to at the, at the moment, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's there's going to be some tough days ahead. And even when we first got promoted, we were struggling in the, in the league above in the first season. And yeah, that wasn't. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's everyone's still maybe grateful, but yeah, you don't get get the love. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's good in the town. And I'm really other things I'm really proud of from the club is just like when we've now got a really good player pathway for our youth teams, which is obviously something I was really really passionate about when I when I first got involved. We had an under 18s. But we didn't have anything else. And now we've got sort of an under-19s education programme. We've got teams from 16s down to 14s. And then we've got a development centre that runs all the way down to under eight. So that was something I was really, really passionate about getting started because I was a youth player and I I, I appreciated the, the the pathway into the first team, even though when I was playing, it wasn't really there. You had to, it was really rare that a player would sort of break through from them under-18s into the first team. The, the jump seemed so big, but... Um, yeah, now we've tried to close that gap and the manager and uh, the director of football have been brilliant at closing that gap and, and giving young players a chance. And that's always, that's helping with recruitment for the next year and the next year. Mm-hmm. And we've also got women's teams now. We're trying to launch a women's development centre. We've got seniors teams. We've got an inclusive team for people with disabilities. So yeah, we're really trying to include the whole community and not leave anyone out. And I think that that's being reflected in, in our crowds because everyone everyone's involved. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and so what's the plan? Obviously, you're going to be in the uh, National League South next season. So I guess that means you'll be on BT. Yeah, I think there's a BT deal with like highlight shows. Now yeah, yeah. yeah. So you'll, you'll be on there. So what's the plan for the, the first team then? Can you go any higher? You just sort of want to see how yeah, this one goes. Speaking about it, I just can't. At the moment, I'm struggling to see a ceiling. So I want to keep, <laughs> yeah, I want to just keep going and going and seeing where we can get to. Obviously, there's going to be challenges the higher up you go. You're going to need uh, um, more ground improvements and, uh, yeah, other, other things like that. But uh, we, we're yet to make a new five-year plan type thing, but we are certainly not, yeah, not stopping here. And we want to we want to keep pushing. And I'm, I'm confident that we can fare well in the league above. And, yeah. I, I'd like to think in, in the not too distant future we can get get maybe one more promotion, but I'm not applying any pressure to anyone. It's just that's what I'd like to see. I think the sky's the limit, George. Yeah. I really do. Um, and just finally, I mean, you've done so much for for football in your town, obviously. But what do you think football has done for you? Well, I think it has. Yeah, it's changed. Well, it's, it's kept me on the straight and narrow. I think. Even like growing up, you could go one way or the other. Football was always my my passion, and I, I, I wouldn't be out drinking or doing anything stupid because I was I was training and I was I had a game the next day or whatever. So I, even before my injury, it kept me like that. But yeah, post injury, it's yeah completely kept my brain uh, in in a good in a good place. And I always say like selfishly, I always everyone's like oh some people some, not everyone some people say oh thank you thank you so much for buying the club and saving it and that. But I always say like it's it's actually the club has saved me because it's gave me sort of like a purpose in in life. I was kind of just at home twiddling my thumbs, not doing anything, sort of going stir crazy really. So yeah, to have that that purpose and that ambition and that that 
thing back in my life that I can really be passionate about, get up in the morning and sort of work towards it. It's been yeah, a lifesaver really. So yeah, I can't I can't thank football as a as a thing, as a sport enough. That's brilliant. Well, good luck with everything next season. I can't wait to see how you get on. I'm yeah, sure I'm sure you guys are gonna smash it, definitely. <laughs> it's gonna be exciting. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Integral Chat, George. Thanks for having me. Cheers.